Welcome back, Dreadfuls. You're listening to another episode of Left for Dread, the horror podcast for everyone from newbies to fanatics. We are not a spoiler-free podcast, so make sure you've seen the movie or movies we're talking about before you listen. I'm one of your hosts, Ray. And I'm your other host, Chris. And we are reporting in the middle of Pan's Labyrinth, and we're right at the portal, the entry, the doorway to the underworld. But we can't get in. We need someone forgot the knife and I forgot the chalk and it's terrible. So we're just sitting here in the middle of of the woods. And I'm in all this labyrinth and we're, we're, we're just waiting for the fawn to let us in. Terrible. Hi, Rye. Chris got distracted by a feast and woke up the pale man is really what yeah. happened. I was so angry. And I, I, was eating the fa- I was eating the fairies. The fairies are so delicious. They looked pretty tasty. They look like jelly-filled donuts, if I do say so myself. And they made they made such delicious crunchy noises. You know that <laughs> ASMR. I'm I'm all for that. <laughs> Got derailed. I derailed everything <laughs> in the first two minutes. Yay! So, in case that wasn't enough of a clue, today we are diving our toes into the supremely. And wonderful, romantic, gothic world of Guillermo del Toro. Uh, We are starting with The Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth today, which are apparently sister movies. Yeah, so we'll get into it, but uh, I was reading how Pan's Labyrinth is considered like a spiritual successor to The Devil's Backbone. And uh, I've never seen Devil's Backbone before until now. Uh, I've seen Pan's Labyrinth plenty of times. I watched Pan's Labyrinth first, and then I watched Devil's Backbone not too long ago, and uh, yeah, that that comparison's very apt. I mean, we, uh, Rai sent me a documentary. Uh, this documentary came out in 2001, so I'm not sure if his views have changed 19, 19 years later, especially after stuff like Hellboy or The Shape of Water. But in this documentary, he was mentioning how The Devil's Backbone was his first true film um he wasn't impeded by constru- uh by production uh hiccups or i mean yes he was under a tight budget but he had more creative control and freedom and then we'll get into it but like the devil's backbone like sets up a lot of like conventions and tropes uh, techniques that we later see in pan's labyrinth and as well as the plot the conventions they rhyme each other a lot so i'm very excited to talk about this okay so I've had a very unique experience with Devil's Backbone, and I will tell you why. I took Spanish as a third language. I still can't speak a word of it. But because I did that, sometimes in class, when teachers, for whatever reason, decided to not do the lesson plan, they would turn on a movie. They showed you Devil's Backbone? In Spanish class. That was the first time I saw this movie. In grade school? Um, uh, like ninth, like ninth grade. <laughs> okay, that, that's not too bad, but like, wow, that's surprising. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so we were supposed to watch it with no subtitles, but because we were watching it with a more advanced class, they used it as an excuse to put the subtitles on, so the advanced class didn't really have to pay too much attention. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I was the only person that was watching that movie to like watch it. Mm. Not to like chat to the person next to me because it was a horror I, movie. I'm so jelly. I want. I would have loved to have watched that movie in Spanish class. 
I mean, we watched a lot of like questionable movies. <laughs> like one of the movies we another movie we watched in Spanish class was Maria Full of Grace. That's an intense movie. Why is there like watch. cannibalism in there or something? Well, no, well, no, no, um, no, not. I, I, you, you, you hesitated a lot. It's like no, because, no, they, no, no. Not. It's not about cannibalism. It's about trafficking drugs. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. And so, like, it's an in, it's on the other side of the spectrum of intensity, but like it's hashtag too real. Right, exactly. So, but the, but these were the kinds of things where the teacher was like, "I don't have a real lesson plan. I'm just going to put a movie in." And the Devil's Backbone, I saw in Spanish class for the first time, and then I watched it again in college with a friend. I've revisited it, revisited it every couple of years. Um, in college, I took a stage makeup class, and we had to put together what they called a morgue which is just a uh, a reference co- a giant like reference collection and i used santi as a reference oh, for a makeup so look cool. so yeah. devil's backbone has been a a sort of like backplate of my life in some respect uh for a couple of years it's just been floating around in there and i saw pan's labyrinth like in theaters i think i saw it with my parents and my grandma <laughs> watching devil's backbone in spanish class is intense watching pants labyrinth when you're like a kid and <laughs> uh with your parents also intense that's like me they're like the, the closest and analogous uh anecdote i could give about that was watching the criminally underrated keanu reeves constantine movie with my mom and my cousin because like me and my cousin were like we're like the same age so we liked a lot of the same stuff but like my mom insisted on watching with us and like that movie's chock full of demons all the demons and like it's like that's definitely not a movie like my mom like would watch ever i mean i watched the grudge remake with my parents like at (laughs) home like they rented it oh (laughs) well because and then cats were banned from the from the house forever it's it, actually that wasn't the noise the the cat thing was fine it was the other noise that like really did something to me growing up but like my my parents got upset that i never like spent time with them in air quotes and i never wanted to watch movies with them because it wasn't something that interested me and i was like well rent a movie that i actually want to watch and i'll yes. watch it with you rent me hellraiser <laughs> I, you know, I probably should have started with Hellraiser, but my mother was like, I don't want to watch a horror movie. And I was like, but I do. So we rented The Crunch and I watched The Crunch remake. Not like the most recent remake, obviously, the Sarah Michelle Gellar one. Um, But yeah, I watched that with my parents. So it's, it happens just not very frequently (laughs) where they'll sit down and watch a horror movie with me. But yeah, so I've seen, yeah, yeah, I've seen. Both of these movies under weird circumstances. <laughs> uh, um, my my first experiences were significantly less. I don't know. They just seem they just seem pretty mundane. Like I, well, <laughs> Devil's Backbone. I watched it like 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 not even like three hours ago or less than three hours ago. <laughs> Pan's Labyrinth. I I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I rented it. I I I I watched it like really late. Pretty sure I, I rented it from a local video store that was up the road from college. Um, so there's this, um, there's this really awesome video rental store where I went to uh, in college. I'm not even sure if it's still there anymore. 
it was like a, a bastion of like old school uh print media like like they were like die hard like yes uh, we want to preserve like the laser discs and the vhs and the dvds um um and they they had a very very stalwart pride for uh having and cultivating an indie collection and like spreading that especially especially for college students because uh, like it was literally up the road so uh that was where um i got a lot of my horror movies and a lot of like just weird indie flicks uh during college and i'm pretty sure that was the first time i watched pan's labyrinth so it was a good time i always forget how tragically beautiful guillermo del toro makes his monsters or makes like the monster of the movie like i don't i i'm always so blown away by how he achieves that and like what goes into all of that see uh del toro if if del toro was an artistic movement he would have been romanticism because that's also all about like the romanticism um is this it's it's a school of art or a school of expression where it's meant it's kind of it's kind of like a close cousin to gothic horror um mm-hmm. but romanticism, yeah all like it's in it's it's meant to in express or to elicit an extreme emotional and cathartic re- response so uh it, i mean it swings either way um but a lot of romanticist art can be tied to like francisco goya uh just eliciting like scenes of grisly horror um like goya he would um he would uh some of his most famous paintings like one of them was like a i don't remember the exact name of the painting but it's a very iconic image of the like this witch-like hag creature uh, like about to eat a baby and it's like it's like one of the most famous examples of romanticism and like that's 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 in del toro's entire aesthetic like he he sees beauty in the monstrous um or he takes something that's monstrous in like everyday life like war uh which is a um which is like a backdrop that these two movies share and like it, he pulls out the horror pulls out visuals pulls out like conventions it gives them breath and life sound and movement and he just does it so tastefully so artfully um and i and does it with such care uh like he like yeah he treats them like like children like each one of his monsters are his children and i i can i can appreciate that i think when i watched both of these for the first time i remember texting you that i i think i said i forget how special these movies are and i use that word because the care that goes into all the details in both of these movies is so obvious. And that says a lot about Guillermo as a, as a director. He puts so much thought and, and care into everything. And I think that that speaks volumes as to who he is as an artist and who he is as a director. And I'm listening to the way you're describing his I mean, especially with the Goya influence, the way he um, creates things, that if there was one ghost story I think I would want to see, having seen it, having seen it I would like to see a Guillermo twist on, it would be 13 Ghosts. 
because the background is so good <laughs> because the background for each one of those ghosts those stories i mean i would love a tv series based on the background like a thir- just one season 13 episodes each one of those ghosts just a background on every single one i think that that would be you know something stunning to watch if guillermo del toro put his spin on that and some of those ghosts are quite tragic characters they would be even more tragic in like the most elegant way possible and there's there's something to be said for that i think when it comes to watching something that is so visually stunning he has this way of making the story that you're watching just like a microcosm inside of a much bigger event that's happening in both of these movies it's the spanish civil war and that's just a backdrop for what's happening around all of these characters that's not even it has nothing to like the story itself has nothing to do with the war it's just a setting and it it takes it gives a character it it gives it it's like the war is a is another character in the story and i think it takes a special kind of mind to be able to do that Del Toro, he's an art- auteur. Um, he's a genius. Um, and he has such a unique way of looking at the world and putting things from paper onto the screen. Um, so I, I can't stop thinking about this mini documentary, Rye. Is that me? <laughs> like, so, so this, this, uh, it's like an 11 minute documentary. It's all about how he created Santi, like the ghostly figure that keeps popping up. Um, the uh, one who sighs. Yeah, the the, bo- the one who sighs is, is a vengeful spirit. Um, spoilers, uh, it's the ghost of a, of a young kid that gets killed by J- Jacinto, who's just like this, this big jerk. Fucking um, asshole. Yeah. And, he got um, his... He got his he got, at the end of the he movie. He got just desserts. Um, I mean, you want to talk about the epitome of death's warm embrace. It was right there at the end of the movie. And exactly. it was just, oh, you want to, oh, gut wrenching. But like, mm-hmm. okay, we'll get there. But yes. We'll get there. But, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, like, so it's just 11 minutes of Del, Tor- Del Toro picking apart and dissecting every single bit of Santi's character. Or characterization and everything was was purposeful like um like uh how he want how, like how many cracks he wanted in his head like uh like no 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 that's too many cracks erase it, 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 it like it, i want him to look like a porcelain doll but if there's too many cracks it doesn't look human enough and i want my i want my ghost to look like a porcelain doll a little bit spoopy but still, I want to look. I want him to look beautiful. And it's like, oh well, I I don't have I don't have the budget to make the ghost uh, levitate the entire time because most ghosts uh, in, their feet in fiction, don't touch the ground. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah you don't see their feet. But uh, I okay, well, I don't have enough money. Okay, so I'll just make I'll make them I'll make the kid just uh, walk around. I have a really cool shot of like footprints in water. Um, oh. Um, Oh, so so uh, the the rest of the movie is is, is sepia and rust tone, but I want the kid to be bleached white again, like a porcelain doll. And then so I I have to repaint the walls and I have to repaint this kid's face a billion times to make sure it looks right on camera. Like it's just like, and like he he mentions like, um oh um, he, this is in reference to 
the very very scarce amount of CGI he used on Santi, which was like the blood, the blood seeping out of his head, um, and like the watery effect um, uh, around him, or the fact that whenever the kids move, uh, you you hear like the sound of like sw- swirling slushing water, like he all of that he says it's subtle. I want it to be subtle. As like that that attention to detail is so important it's, it's like it, it's the, the the true marksmanship of like a the cinematic genius is you know you make everything look so effortless and so seamless and then you, so you make the audience like like not realize like how much work it went to it and it's like that's crazy anyway that was my mini rant sorry <laughs> no i love it so i think I think one of the things that I, I liked about what Guillermo said in, in reference to Santi's ghost was that he wanted him to look like living death. Mm-hmm. And I didn't notice this until I watched this. Santi has oxidized like rust tear stains. And like it matches, the, yeah, and it matches and all it the matches, scenery, like the rusted bomb, the rusted rafters. or. or and I was, my, my, I think. I think I burst to a couple of like brain cells. Like my mind was blown because it was just, that is so subtle. You look at the ghost and you, and, and like you, your brain registers all of this, but then, and you, and you're registering the background of the movie the whole time, but you don't put two and two together until someone points it out and goes, I wanted it to match this in the most subtle yet obvious way possible. And it hits you like you just ran into a fucking wall. And again, speaks to his mind and 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 the way it works the one thing that i did really enjoy him saying is that his color scheme with the exception of the red he was inspired by mario bava and we have not watched mario bava on the show yet it's coming i have it slated in its own special little group for a reason it's coming but mario bava's color schemes is very like the yellows and the reds and you'll see where he was going with it the difference was is uh del toro wanted to reserve that red color for the blood there's no red anywhere else in this movie except the blood that's coming out of santi's head Mm -hmm. and again just genius just a genius moment i think so good Gosh, what what I'm a, so happy that this is like your first like I can't believe you hadn't seen it before, but also like Well again, I think so I, was, happy I, was you did. I was a late bloomer to like Del Toro, like like Pan I I I watched like a lot of his recent quote unquote recent stuff. So like obviously like Pan's Labyrinth and Pacific Rim, Crimson Peak, uh Shape of Water, uh Hellboy 2. Uh, I know I'm forgetting a bunch of them, but a lot of his, like, I mean, because, like, Devil's Backwood came out in 2001. I haven't seen the film he referenced that was, like, his kind of testing grounds for, for filmmaking. I forget what it was called. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I Again, I, we, we talked about this before. Like, I, I, I have, like, this weird trajectory of how I find people, and, like, I just, I just haven't had a chance to uh, check out Devil's Backwood. I'm glad I did, because, like, it's... A crystal. This movie crystallizes and teases and it acts as a primer for like so many of what makes a Del Toro a classic Del Toro movie. And it's like it's so cool to just 
in retrospect, like, watch, oh, yeah, like, I've seen this in Queens of Peak. Like, he likes, he likes having, like, holes in people's heads and ah, whis- yes, whisking. Yes. And- <laughs> like the wisping like 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 blood that comes out of someone the holes in the faces like there has to be something there has to be like a meaning for that like there has to be something there i just i don't know what it is i did find out that the inspiration for santi and the reason why they call him the one who sighs came from um guillermo del toro when he was growing up evidently heard his dead uncle like sigh in the middle of the night in his bedroom oh, <laughs> and he, no. like kept it for a rainy day <laughs> <laughs> like, like all of these things that should scare you when you're younger Guillermo del Toro holds on to them and says I'm going to turn this into something you know, you know what uh uh, my, the, the, I don't know why, but like the comparison or like the antidote he gave about Santi that amused me most. He was showing like his sketches for Santi. He was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I want Santi to be beautiful and haunting, like Jesus Christ." It's like, "Oh, okay, oh, no, like yeah. the baby Jesus." He's like, yeah. Yeah. he it's should like, look okay. like he should look like a broken saint. I think that's what he said. Yeah, that's exactly. It's like this is great. <laughs> now I don't know enough about like religious iconography to be like, yay, you nailed it. But I'm assuming he nailed it. Like I don't, I can't speak to that. But judging by how happy Chris is getting, I'm assuming he was right. It's good. It's very good. <laughs> One thing that I didn't know about Guillermo del Toro was that um, the Devil's Backbone sort of came from two uh, tragedies that he faced very early on in his life and in his career, which was the total unraveling of the experience of him making the movie mimic in 1997, I think. And his father's kidnapping. His father got kidnapped and was held for 72 days. And James Cameron, uh, helped pay the ransom for his father. And yeah, I mean, you want to talk about a life altering event and all of these movies sort of have that like life altering event that, combines this grotesque horror of reality through the fantastical eyes of a child. And it's how you get these worlds that he makes. The opening line for The Devil's Backbone, I think, is probably one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. And it's a trend that he sort of takes with you throughout all of his movies. Um, It's the beginning of the movie says, what is a ghost? A tragedy doomed to repeat itself time and again. An instant of pain, perhaps. Something dead, which still seems to be alive. An emotion suspended in time. And I think that that couldn't be more correct. Uh, People say that ghosts are like echoes. That they're on like a loop. That they repeat things because it's what they were doing when they died. So all they know is to repeat the notions and repeat the same gestures over and over and over again. And I think that that, if there is a life after death, I think that is probably the most terrifying thing that you could get caught in. It's like an endless loop of just repeating the same thing over and over and over again. But there's also something beautiful about that too, that he caught that little tiny microcosm of a, of a note of a phenomenon. And turned it into a movie yeah 
and has turned it into several movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, like, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, he takes. He t- I mean, a lot like Pan's Labyrinth and Devil's Backbone. They definitely rhyme um, in various ways. Like they, you know, they deal with the supernatural. They have the backdrop of the Spanish Civil War. It blends both fantasy and reality, and how you know both sides of that mortal and immortal mortal coil can be like ugly and beautiful in their respective ways and uh and how you you know like and how like there's tenderness and beauty and like even in the most dire circumstances like for example it's um uh, ophelia you know seeing wonder um in a stick bug which which she thinks is a fairy in the backdrop where you know she's admit it like she doesn't quite acknowledge it yet but she's a child of privilege but it's built on the fact that like she uh it's built on this foundation of soldiers and war and like and then like the cruel like uh and like this like the just the grand senseless violence and chaos of war and the same thing with with um devil's backbone i mean you you have you have a freaking bomb in the middle of in the middle of a monument and then del toro makes it beautiful it's like this slow pan shot and like these ribbons are are tied to the bomb and it makes it he shoots it he he sets the 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 sequence as if the the bomb is like some sacred piece of a statue or say or it's like some sculpture or the fact that you know life sucks for these kids, but they have these these tender moments where like they're hanging out at night, you know, reading comics. You know, that's really cool. And it's like Del Toro, like he he pushes and pulls with that tension all the time, and it just makes it for a really, again, subtle but powerful experience. He also does this thing where he creates tension throughout the movie because he draws your attention to the bomb, and there are there is a part of you that is sitting there amidst all of this waiting for that bomb to go off like that's what's going to happen to these kids like none of them are going to get out of this because something's going to happen because of the war and and that bomb is going to go off no matter what they think the bomb was jacinto he he, he... right exactly and it all came it was all internal um everything is sort of like an internal uprising it's all done from within like these monsters that are these things that go bump in the night that scare you the same way Guillermo took those things. He says that he like befriended the things that haunted him when he was a kid. And then he has turned them into what we're looking at. So the same way that you sort of befriend these monsters that go bump in the night, you find a way to not like internalize those, but to grow from that internally. Like you find it within you to grow and learn from that situation. And that that's what they're, that's what they're doing in all of this. Like that's what he's doing in all of this too. Like these kids find a way to be, to rely on one another instead of picking on each other and move forward and survive. Now, do they make it down that whole stretch and make it into the town that's like a whole night and a half walk away? We don't know, but we're not thinking about that because the the ghosts that have now sort of resided in this shell of a school are, are the ones that are telling the story now, too, which is also another like beautiful theme that he has. 
Like the beginning of the movie says like, what is a ghost? And at the end, it's the teacher saying, I, I am that like we are like, he is almost sort of suspended in time at that point because he's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think with with your earlier point, I think it, I think what's fun is like Del Toro gives you multiple readings, multiple codings of like you know of the ending. Was this, was this a tragedy? Was this a comedy? Like I I read The Devil's Backbone as like you know a hap, like a like a quote unquote a comedy. Um yeah yes like the you know a a bunch of people died a lot of people died in that movie um but like the ghost the ghost like uh the ghost of the doctor he i felt like it was ultimately optimistic ending you know especially that his final words were like uh to be to, he's telling the kids to be brave uh when he broke him out of that uh room in the third act while Jacinto is uh raiding um what's left of the orphanage. I coded well that's okay well first of all there's like under all of this like this is a this is like a gothic ghost story. It's like a war story. It's also a coming age story and like at the end like um it's a what's it called it's a building build in romance it's a a loss of innocence story and like even the fact that these kids like you know, they, they not only lost their innocence because of seeing so much death um, and because of being orphans and being uh, casualties of war in a way, you know, they they pretty much killed Jacinto. And like, mm-hmm. the, and the, and like you see this heartbreaking um, reaction where um, the main one of the main kids, uh, Carlos, uh, he returns the rifle to the corpse of the doctor, and he just starts breaking down, crying, because of what just happened. Because uh, he's he's just like ten years old, and all these kids ganged up on the mammoth. And in the same way with Pan's Labyrinth, yeah, we're we're skipping ahead. Sorry, spoilers. But like uh, Ophelia, like she gets killed, she gets shot in the stomach. Um, and you could read it like, oh shit, like this this entire time she's hallucinating. Um, this. Her, her passing to the underworld, or you could take as all these events as real, like as real as you and me. It's a happy ending where she actually ends up uh, in the underworld, and um, you know it's a it's a fairy tale happy ending. It, it codes you in different ways um, depending on what you take away from it. I love I love that flexibility that Del Toro gives you. He gives you this this escapism of, and this is why I think looking at this from a from a childlike fantasy lens i think is so beneficial to especially to these two movies is an argument could be made that they're both sort of fantastical worlds that these kids made to cope with everything and none of it's real like maybe maybe there was a kid that died and that was it it was just, it was an accident and that was it. There was no ghost. There was no nothing. And it was just about them surviving because it's what they had to do. But they created this version where it helped them cope with their loss of innocence because they had to help kill a man for their own survival. Um, they had to deal with losing the only guardians that they've ever known because we are sort of led to believe that possibly some of these kids have been here longer than the others. Um, the main villain of The Devil's Backbone 
had been there for 15 years before he left and came back. But he came back because he was he knew that there was gold there and he wanted that because he knew that the school was hiding it. He thought in a safe it was actually somewhere else. Which I think that you can even have a movie and even look at it four or five different ways. Again, just Guillermo, I stay around because I feel like at the end of all of this, we're going to need something from him <laughs> to like cope with all of this. And he'll deliver us something beautifully tragic, I think. True facts. Because <laughs> that's what he does. What a mad lad. <laughs> I, love- I mean, really, though. Mm. Um, so I think we talked a lot about devil's backbone let's you know let's dive a little bit more into uh pan's labyrinth so first of all first fucking thing i'm gonna say about pan's labyrinth two words doug jones doug jones Doug, that man has been more tv and movie monsters than you would ever think and it's all him underneath there and he said that the fawn is the most comfortable cost like costume he's ever put on and he's done a whole and he's on he's on like stilts or some shit for part of that or whatever he has like some awkward piece because the fawn's legs like go backwards yeah it's and he's wearing like a green screen like pant or some shit and he i'm I'm like looking at him trying to walk throughout all this i also didn't realize that that's actually him speaking spanish i thought that was a dub oh i thought so too wow that's cool no no that's him he learned spanish for this movie Mm -hmm. and it's not native to him in any way shape or form he learned spanish for him to be the fawn in this movie like (laughs) commit to your craft that's dope but he's also the pale man in this too Mm. which Mm. I love the pale that, man. Okay. The pale man is. Okay. I remember watching that for the first time. I was like, oh. <laughs> but, the pale uh, man still gets. Look, there are two things that scared the shit out of me in Penn's Labyrinth the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. The first thing was the fucking captain. He is an underrated villain. He is horror. He is. Oh my god, that's truly scene, horrifying. And he's a where he just like punches the kid kid's face out with a bottle. Yeah. Yeah, that was and then, messed up. My God. Pure sociopathic moment. They were telling the truth the whole time. There were two rabbits that were in the bottom of the bag. And he was like, next time, just search them before you come bother me. Not any remorseful, like you made me kill two people for no reason. Didn't even matter. Didn't even matter. The most beautiful and subtle special effect that they did in this movie was the cut on his face. They put an appliance there, and that's the actor, like, actually sewing that. What? That is so cool. Yeah, Yeah, there's, like, a whole whole piece, and I watched the the behind-the-scenes where you can see the inside of it's blue where they can digitally remove that, Mm -hmm. but his cheeks in there, too. Like, there's not that much wiggle room between his actual face and the appliance, but that's him actually sewing my god the piece to get oh my god how as an actor like i mean i guess you have to be like you're 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 tempered in the with fire and steel how do you like not slip your finger and accidentally like like stick yourself like (laughs) you just you just have like the needle stuck in your face Practice. (laughs) practice practice Vidal is definitely an underrated villain. He's horrifying. Mm-hmm. He's a monstrosity. He's worse than the Pale Man. And the oh, Pale Man, the first definitely. time I watched 
Pan's Labyrinth, the Pale Man, actually scared the shit out of me. And he doesn't scare me until he puts the eyes in his fingers and everything starts to come to life and you hear that cracking and the way he moves, which again is... I love how it, like, he shakes his Doug hand Jones. and he's just like... Oh. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, like, there, I have no... Like, horrifying. Like, truly like the stuff of nightmares. Like, the pale man looks like a paralysis demon that someone probably saw in their bedroom corner and, like, mm. couldn't move. See, and there he is on fucking screen. See, I... I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, Pants Labyrinth came out what like uh, came out like 2006, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm sure. 2006, 2007. Yeah. So I'm sure there's there there probably is some like behind the scenes or like multiple behind the scene books or compendiums. But I would love it so much if Del Toro could just have allow allow someone to take digital scans of his sketchbooks like of like devil's backbone and of like of like pan's labyrinth i, and, and... I think there is a book that exists like that, <gasps> i want to see think... from start to finish like all of his sketches about the pale man like he's like oh this guy uh the pale man he has he has four arms four arms not believable two arms um eyeballs on his face no eyeballs on his hands that's better <laughs> I don't know about the eyeballs on his hands. I don't know where that came from, but I know that the initial inspiration for the pale man was someone who uh, lost a ton of weight and just had all that skin hanging. And like, that's what. So visually that's where he came from. I don't know where the eyeballs and the hands came from though, but it's fucking creepy considering the fact that I thought that they were grapes sitting in front of him. I couldn't understand like why he was sleeping or I, I like I was so confused in the theater the first time I saw it. And then when he ate the two out of three of the fairies, I got really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, well, going back to the, the eye and the hand, I mean, that's not but not, not to not to like discredit or like there's no way disparaging Del Toro. Uh, but like uh, the eyes and the, the eye and the hand motif, like you see it a lot, especially in the uh middle eastern religion and culture like the hamza hand is like a it's a very famous middle eastern amulet symbol uh it's like a, a little eyeball in the middle of a hand is supposed to symbolize the hand of god so i don't know if the pale man is pulling some significance or some influence on that or or maybe Del Toro was to find that shit out in 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 a movie about a fantastical world with fawns and fairies mm. count, count on you to make that connection <laughs> <laughs> like, i love your brain man well, really well, I, well it's interesting so i um like the normal um well okay well not quote unquote like, well one one common interpretation or depiction is if you see the hamza symbol in an open right hand or in the rope open right hand orientation especially in like uh islam and judaism um it's meant to be a defense against the evil eye so it's supposed to be like a warding symbol or a, a, a symbol of uh protection so but obviously i i don't i mean obviously the pale man uh maybe it's definitely he's definitely like something of horrific body horror 
uh, proportions. Um, so may it could you could code it as like a inversion um, of that motif, or or I'm just thinking way too hard into it, and it's just, like Del Toro just wants to like freak out your brain. But I'm sure. Well, but knowing Del Toro, Del Toro's mo, I'm sure there there has to be some hidden meaning, some hidden um significance because like look I how much detail he right. did with santi i mean that's uh, i i don't think anything is coincidence with del toro so i'm gonna i'm gonna say right now the hamza <laughs> the hamza is related in some way i don't know yet how but it's related anyway i'm, just, I'm taking your word for it. <laughs> no i'm taking your word for it because you know i yeah I, I i wouldn't put it past him in in any way shape or form pen's labyrinth is where the bomb was that tension building vehicle in Devil's Backbone, I think Mercedes is that tension building bomb in Pan's Labyrinth because you don't know what she's going to do. You know something's going to happen and either she's going to get killed, which the doctor ends up getting killed, or she's going to set them all free. And in actuality, the worst case happens. She manages to get away, but she can't save Ophelia. After she promises she would come back for her, she can't save her. She saves the little boy and has her badass moment where when he's like, tell my son what time I died, tell him what kind of a man I was. And she's just like, no, he's never going to know who you are, never going to know your name. And then he dies by getting shot in the face. Where we'll get to Crimson Peak, but that 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 point is also like another thing. I don't know what is it with Guillermo del Toro and the holes in the face. Can we find that out? Yes, we will. Like we, will we, can... we will enter. We will <laughs> Skype in Del Toro and ask him point blank. Like um, I just, I just want to know because where I can rationalize, like after you've said it, I can sort of rationalize like the Hamsa with the Pale Man and all that. Like that, I can do. I can do that. I cannot rationalize like the hole in the face. Like, what is with that? It happens so often. You know, it happens with it, it happens, happens with the captain. Often. It happens with Santi. It happens, it happens with exactly. It happens with the, the the ghost. The ghost of at the end of um, Crimson Peak, where the main the main character she like sticks her finger in, like, in his head. She she jabbed him in the face with a nail file. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, but like, what is that specific spot? So like, Santi has a hole in his head, but Carlos got cut on his cheek in the same place where people just keep getting shot. Mm-hmm. Like, I just is there like, I'm sure. Okay, my, my, get, like I don't understand. My 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 fan theory is that Del oh, Toro cool. Del Toro oh, yeah. has practiced and read uh, on a uh, you know like like there's a, a school of uh pseudoscience called phrenology where you inspect uh like parts of the brain and certain parts of the brain are are tied to personality or 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 certain psychological aspects uh like this ridge over here uh uh uh, illustrates that you are 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 a type a person or something like that so maybe maybe del toro was looking on like old old-timey pseudoscientific journals and uh, or maybe arcane document and like this part of the face represents this and this part of the of the forehead represents that and i want to implement that and no one will know except for people who know the deep cuts like i do 
I can't even follow that up, Chris. Sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll say this. Watching them do like infield surgery or they had to amputate that man's leg made me think of this book I read a while ago by a woman named Dr. Lindsay Fitzharris. Um, and it's called The Butchering Art. And it's all about surgery before, um, like, like soap and essentially sanitation and making everything sterile and clean and how more people died from infections because of the tools they were using because they weren't aware of disease and how to clean things off. So like the towel that they would use to wipe it off had everybody else's germs and blood and all that on it. The knife had been cut, had been used to cut like four different people that day from surgery. The conditions were less than ideal. And I couldn't help but think of that, but be reminded of that book while I was watching that scene. Like, none of this is clean. Like, not only does he have to lose this leg, but he's probably going to die from this amputation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and notice how we never see him again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we see the stutterer again, which, oh, of all the, of all of them, of all the ones for them to catch her, like, he, like, I knew that they, they showed his character a, character to us for a reason they made it very evident to show us that he had a stutter mm -hmm. and when he when the captain looks at him and says if you can get to three without stuttering i'll let you walk out of here because he knows he's not going to be able to do it that, that man that, that man's a monster in human human clothing you know yeah because he gets to one and he goes through two and you sit there and you, after he says a number, you just, you sit there and you breathe with him. And then he starts stuttering and I'm like, oh no, oh no. And then when you see what he did to him and he's not even done, he comes in and calls the doctor to heal him so that he could keep going. The man is a monstrosity. He's worse than anything else that that movie throws at you. And I think that that, he also shows you this in the shape of water that the biggest monster is humankind is man yeah. they're the worst yeah, yeah. we are yeah. let's be very honest we are the worst when it well white man's the worst i was just that's the last political <laughs> thing that i say <laughs> but like yes <laughs> but, yeah but and he, that that was also sort of like the whole point in the shape of water as well so i think that both of those images sort of are made very friggin' clear because for all the m misguided things that were said about the fawn, the fawn turns out to be a good guy by the end of the movie. And Vidal is the worst. Like he ends up being the, the, the real monster of the movie. He kills Ophelia because he couldn't give two shits about her. He lets his wife die because he even says to the doctor, if you have to pick one, save my son. Mm -hmm. Cause I, I am machismo and I need a male mm -hmm. heir. Because my ego mm -hmm. demands it. Right. And when the doctor was like, you shouldn't have let your wife travel here at this late in her pregnancy. And he's like, my son's going to be born into a, a quote unquote sterilized Spain. Or or, or a man Spain. should be here when my, when or a, a father should be here when his son is born. It's like, uh. So then why wasn't your wife there throughout her entire pregnancy? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't understand. But yeah. So he does a very good job of 
indirectly directing you towards who the real monster is in the movie. And again, I'm going to reference The Shape of Water. You might be looking at a giant fish man from a foreign country like, what the fuck? But Michael Shannon is the real villain of that movie. Mm-hmm. I can't, so, I can't wait to talk about Shape of Water. It's... We'll get there. <laughs> I, I, I kind of want to pit it up against the insp- the Guillermo del Toro's inspiration for that movie. Mm-hmm. Just to really take a look at the, at the polar opposite outcomes of both films. <laughs> so we'll, we'll do it at some point. But yeah. Um, if you could ask Guillermo del Toro, like, one question in how he comes up with a concept or a monster and puts it into a script for a movie, what would you ask him? I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, I know. It's great. It's a great <laughs> question. Uh, I think, I mean, obviously, obviously, I, 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 um, I don't want to despair or like discount or disregard all the work that, del toro's team puts together um because del toro mentions the the work of dtt as being absolutely so talented when making santi and the fawn the dtt crew produced both of those monsters so i guess my my question is i i mean i i think i feel like i know the answer already it's just like trial and error and experience but like how does del toro know like how uh, like a, a particular special effect like i guess i guess how what does del toro see in his mind's eye and, and how does he break it down in producer mode into actual engineering mathematical terms like for example like like it, it would have never occurred to me to factor in like like oh here's here's del toro's goal i want to make santi's face porcelain skin white like a doll i want to know what what makes del toro think about all these small minute parameters like logistical parameters like well okay so i'm shoot this scene is is being shot at night so uh that means I, all the lights gonna be in tinted blue. So since it's tinted blue, I have to uh, in post production make sure the color palette of the the kids' makeup is a slightly different shade of yellow because uh, yellow uh, under this blue tint will actually appear white. How does he know that? Like how and like did like how how did like and like obviously uh, I feel like the the obvious answers are. Uh, you know, the, he has a great team. Uh, he's he's a genius. Uh, it, it, he probably he probably got he he put in ten thousand hours of work or thought even before get, getting this movie or producing that movie. But still, there's that. What is that small liminal space of where Del Toro knows what he wants, and it just it turns out great. Um, I don't know. I don't. Know, I, I started rambling again. I'm not sure that that answered your question. I just, I just. What? How? How does Del Toro be a producer like that? Like that is crazy. Because how does Del Toro do himself? Yes. How, how does, does Del Toro be Del, be Del Toro? Like I like, cause like he, he's a director and a producer and an artist all in one. And you know he has very particular 
vision and like he, not only that he knows exactly how to get those results and when you're building and that that's just santi not to say that santi was a a a, a overly complex build like he himself said like uh santi's one of his favorite monsters ever uh because of its simplicity but once you once once you get to creatures like the fawn the fawn is like equal parts cgi prosthetics and and puppetry and 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 all all that kind of stuff and like that's that that's a significantly more complex build and i i still how did how did you get this it's beautiful (laughs) it's creepy what's in your brain tell toro okay i'll I'll stop (laughs) never Never stop your brain from working. Yes. Uh, um, right. Same question. I I want to know: Are all the monsters that he has given to us on screen have they all been some horrifying haunt from his past? Like, have they all come to him in some form of another that he has saved for a rainy day? Or is he basing some of these on things he enjoyed and tying them in with the worst of humanity and trying to find a circumstance where they can all cohesively live together? That's a deep question. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I want to know. (laughs) I mean, or I could just be a total asshole and be like, yo, what's up with the hole in the face? Like, why, why that? Yo, why, why that why, image? Why, that, why them holes, though? <laughs> why, why that image? Why is it in the face? Why is it around the mouth? Like, why, why that? Please, please and thank you. No, I would prefer the first one. Over no, the, I'll over steal your second one. That's a much better question. Why the holes in the head? <laughs> Great. Problem solved. <laughs> why that particular, yeah, why that wound? But, yeah. The man has a tormentedly beautiful mind and i i love how he brings these horrifying real problems and ties them in to a fantasy world and gives you this beautiful movie that's like a love letter to to gothic literature <laughs> like thanks <laughs> what would you rate these five out of five ghosts for devil's backbone <laughs> five out of five santis down at the bottom of the pool. Uh, and, and and five out of five fawns for Pan's Labyrinth. Like, I really can't find any fault with these two movies. Like, they're just, they're like masterpieces. Uh, and I, I, I honestly think these are perfect films. I will say, I think I'm a little bit biased just because of the novelty. But I think I like Devil's Backbone more. I mean, I, I, I'll, I mean, well, just, just I'm running off the high still because I watched it very recently. Um, but I felt like telling, I was texting Rye like this movie messed me up. Like, and, it, <laughs> and, and it's not, it is not, it is not like all the 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 scary Santi stuff. It is all like the human monster that is Jacinto, like, like just uh, him setting fire and blowing up the orphanage or him killing um his wife or fiance like it was nothing it's like oh, no but like why and the, or him like um just hit like like that like it, like the movie the movie like especially in the second third act it got so bleak especially when the kids are like you know surviving by themselves and 
you know, or the fact that they lost their innocence, uh, ganging up and killing Jacinta because it was either them or him or them. And even though I felt like the end of the movie was, I had a uh, optimistic bent, like, geez, it, it went to hell to get there. Like everyone died and, and it, and it wasn't at the hands of the ghost. Like the ghost, the ghost was the pre- one of the protagonists, really. Jacinta was the monster the entire time. And it just, it messed me up. And I love that feeling. So, yeah. That, so I, I enjoyed Devil's Backbone more out of these viewings. Now, uh, are these, are those two my favorite all-time Del Toro movies that yet that's yet to be seen? Um, I will say that I love Pacific Rim, but it doesn't count as a horror movie, even though I'll argue against that because there's kaiju, there's monsters in there, so therefore it's a horror movie. But it's not. But still, I love Pacific Rim. I'm just I'm just putting out the record. I love Pacific Rim. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> right. I'll agree with you on the ratings. Um. But I do, they, they both mean something different to me, but I, I think I prefer Penn's Labyrinth only because when I was younger, reading was escapism to me. I was Ophelia. I carried around books that took me to different places and being in a world of your own does things to you when you're a kid when you feel threatened and you use it as a defense mechanism and whether it's because you're trying to process something that's happening or because you feel unsafe whatever your reason is to use escapism the fact that you do you know however you choose to use it is something in and of itself and because pan's labyrinth does that and and that's what i think ophelia is doing she's dealing with her mom getting married again her father dying um her being uprooted her mom's pregnant and obviously not doing well she doesn't want to be left alone it's all of these things so she found a world where she was needed she was important and and she used that to escape everything else that was going on around her so because of that i do prefer pan's labyrinth two devil's backbone but not to discredit one over the other they're both beautiful films so well said (laughs) that's that's how i feel about that (laughs) uh i think i think the moral of the story is we love del toro and we got some more del toro movies coming up yes yes we do very excited that's right right we're totally watching pacific rim next week right right no 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 i know you know the answer no um, okay <laughs> on that note thank you for listening to another episode of left for dread please don't forget to rate review and subscribe everything helps you can listen to us on itunes overcast stitcher soundcloud and spotify every friday you can follow us on twitter and instagram at left for dread pod you can find us on facebook and you can check us out on our website at leftfordread.com. And uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode, these movies. We we have a, a a few more Del Toros in the pipeline, so he we we we're super huge fans of of him. So stay tuned. Uh, we got some more coming up, and yeah, yeah, we've got next week. We've got Crimson Peak and scary stories to tell in the dark. Yes, very exciting. I'm rereading all three books to prepare. 
because I have them on my Jeez, phone. you're doing so much more homework. <laughs> well, I, I remember taking out those three books from the library when I was a kid. And then when I was in college, someone brought, someone like brought it up. And I was like, I wonder where those copies of the of those books went. And I realized I never actually owned them. Oh, so I bought them. Well, I think I have to do some homework too. Uh, I, 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 I too. I don't know what they covered in the movie, and I don't want to know. I want to go in blind. I just want to reread all the stories and then just go in. Oh, gosh! Now I feel guilty. You know, like I remember, I remember having those books. Uh, in elementary school or middle school or something like that, and I, I love them. I mean, they were terrifying. They were terrifying. So, and then we're rambling. It's gonna be awesome. Very excited. It'll be great. I'm very excited. Uh, so, uh, so, uh, you have your homework, kids. So go watch <laughs> it. Uh, and uh, stay tuned for next week where we go into part two, Electric Boogaloo, with our Del Toro mini marathon. Uh, so enjoy. And don't forget, stay dreadful. Stay dreadful.